Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 148, Flowers and Self-Sufficiency. This is Scaddy and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey Scad. Hey, hey. Uh, hey fam. Davos hey. Fingers fam. This episode we are covering chapters 60 through 64. The name of those chapters are Fortune Through Nine in the Fire. Uh, you know, after his successful foray into being a semi-professional musician, Quoth seeks to use his newfound pipes and relationships in action to gain employment and maybe <gasps> a patron. But it might not be as easy as he thinks. I mean, who cares, though, when young love is taking root? Yes, taking root. Flowers. See what I did there? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Before we jump in, just a few uh, little announcements. Uh, we had our roast. This is the first time we've spoken since the roast. Oh my gosh, that roast. That it was roast. a lot of fun. It was a smashing success. Congratulations to you, sir, whose idea it was. Oh, and we uh, pulled it off together. We did. We did. And with the help of our our good friends that did the roasting, of course, it would have been nothing without them. So, fam, my face hurt, like ached from the <laughs> laughter. It, yeah. I mean, it was so cathartic just to just get together and just laugh. Um, look it up on YouTube on, as uh, uh, the roast of Stannis Baratheon. It's on our YouTube channel, Davos Fingers Podcast. Um, please check it out. Uh, not safe for work, not safe for children. Uh, be careful where you're listening to it, but do listen to it. Yeah. You will laugh. So, yeah. It's not, yeah, safety is not a word that should be used with this in really any capacity. Uh, you, I mean, it's not really safe to have a drink near your computer or TV if you're watching because you might spit all over it. Uh, I don't, I don't think we toot our own horns too much, but that event was, was really fun. And I think, I think people will enjoy it if they go watch it. I think they will too. It's definitely it, something that we want to do again. Yes, I think I think we do. We have several yeah. candidates. It was kind of fun after the event, actually. The pe- the roasters, we had a little chat going right on what was it, Twitter, I think, um, with the roasters, and they <laughs> they were kind of participating and trying to see who the next you know, yeah. candidate should be. You know, as the first timers, they're kind of like honorably the roast committee from now on. So if you were a roaster <laughs> with us, you're kind yeah. of part of our roast committee from here on out. Doesn't mean you have to participate in the future, but you know, there's some special privileges afforded, I think. Yeah. And we of course, t- we'll, we welcome new people as well to, to do some roasting. But of course, we threw around Jon Snow, uh, mm-hmm. we did. Jamie. That'd Jamie be a good one. Fun. You know, it would be savage, would be Theon. Oh my gosh. Theon oh oh man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if we really want to alienate ourselves from a very intense corner of the fandom, we'll do Danny. Um, oh yeah <laughs> Sansa, Sansa could put some blood in the water oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. we can one. make some enemies <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's do it she, right around a song of madness time and just really ruffle some feathers she did nothing roast the she did nothing roast <laughs> she did nothing wrong <laughs> anyways uh, check it out yes. please you'll you'll yes. enjoy it You'll enjoy it. 500 something views on YouTube. It's it's our number one video for sure. 
uh, as people found it. But go check it out if you haven't watched it yet. Uh, next month, uh, this month, really, uh, getting back to A Song of Ice and Fire. It's going to be a little late because uh, we have some conflicts for recording, but we're going to get back to the We Should Start Back project. It'll be the next 100 pages of Game of Thrones. Uh, we're going to cover da Daenerys 2 through Eddard 4. Uh, it's roughly pages 100 to 200, not exactly, but close in the uh, U.S. paperback. Um, these are quicker reviews. We don't do like a full-on chapter summary. Uh, we just kind of like to sit back and talk a little bit more relaxed about how our views of these chapters have changed over the years since we started this podcast so many years ago, uh, yeah. nine years ago. Uh, and, and also sometimes how the fandom seems to have changed on some of these events and characters in that time too. Uh, it's been the first episode we did. I thought was really fun to journey back through, and uh, yeah, looking forward to doing that again. That'll come out, uh, you know, roughly probably second week of November or so. And you can check uh, that previous episode out on our Patreon page, That's right. along with all of our monthly Patreon content that we release for patrons. We'd love to have right. you over there. Yeah, that will be for patrons only. Um, so check it out. I think that's it. I think it's all we have for announcements. Yep. Yeah, we got something else coming in November too. We're still still putting our details together on it. But uh anyway, look for that. Uh so moving on to King Killer Chronicle. We are spoiler free with King Killer Chronicle, just like we did for Zone of Ice and Fire when we originally covered it. That means there will be no spoilers past the part of the book we are covering today. Uh that is until, of course, the end of the episode when we have a special segment called Devi After Dark. Um so listen, listen with ease until then. And if you want to jump off and get no spoilers, do it. We'll warn you, uh, but stick around for some extra fun afterward. Please do. And we love to hear from you. So reach out to us, send us, uh, send us some questions, send us some comments. We'd love to even read them on the air. So you can find us at we are Davos fingers at gmail.com on Twitter. We are at Davos fingers. We have the same handle over on blue sky. You can find and like us on Facebook and you can learn more about our Patreon program at patreon.com slash Davos fingers. That's right. Shall we dive? We just dive right in there, Matt. Chapter 60, Chapter Fortune. 60. Fortune. Sporting a nasty hangover from what had to be one of the best nights in his life, in which he earned his talent pipes by playing one of the hardest songs in the world on only six strings of a seven-string lute, Quoth is now back to drudging reality, standing in line for the admissions lottery. Regardless, he draws a good slot five days from now, but he elects to trade it. He can't get into the library to study anyway. Why not make some coin and just get his admissions over with? But no sooner than putting his hand up, he is confronted by Ambrose, who needs to trade back. They have yet another pissing contest in which Ambrose agrees to pay a talent and three bits. Until Quoth mentions that he understands that nobles only dicker about and haggle prices when they are truly on hard times. Quoth indicates that he is not above a little charity for the needy and offers to trade the tile to Ambrose for a halfpenny. The gathered crowd eats it up and Quoth takes a bow as Ambrose exits, affronted. Willem scores a minor victory for Quoth. Not your best work, really, says Sim. Quoth settles for six jots and a favor to be named later. Uh, that will come in very handy very shortly. His tuition, after going through admissions that very day, six talents. More on that later. Quoth makes his way back to the Aeolian to pick up his loot after leaving it with Diok the night before. Denna is nowhere to be found, despite his looking on every level, but he does encounter Count Threep, 
who is stunned by the fact that Quoth doesn't already have a patron and bemoans the fact that he can't take on another one himself, already overwhelmed with the three he has. But he vows to help Quoth find a patron to support his pursuit, as he knows everyone with blood or money for 50 miles. Quoth also takes the chance to ask Threep if he might be able to help find Diane, the girl who sang his harmony last night. Threep is at a loss after Quoth's truly vague and unhelpful descriptions and waves Diak over, who knows her instantly, warning Quoth that men fall to her like wheat to the sickle blade. Quoth insists he's just wanting to call on her to pay his respects with a song, nothing else. He's not falling for her. Diak can't tell him where to find her, though. Diane comes and goes. Seems it's not known where she is staying. Next stop on Quoth's whirlwind hangover day is Devi. He has a little debt to pay off, after all. Quoth technically has the money to pay back the loan and be done with it and still afford his tuition, since he got eight talents from Count Three just the previous night. But he would have quite literally zero money left after that intuition. And Quoth had some other debts to pay. So he pays back just two talents, just the interest. That must make, They make some small talk about Debbie's business. We are reminded how thorough and careful she is with it, having once been accused of lending in her lending in her manner, but quickly being absolved for lack of evidence and exploring her book collection, which is quite impressive as well. Quoth and Debbie seem to both have a strong appetite for reading. She inviting him to come by and read anytime, so long as his hands are clean, and he left wondering if she was being flirtatious or friendly, or maybe a little both. Next, we learn of one of these additional debts Quoth has, to Kilvin's shop for materials used over the course of his last semester. One talent, seven jots, and three shins is exactly what he owes. He pays it off. Kilvin is as shocked to see him pay it as Quoth is that the new number, that, that Kilvin had known that number right off the top of his head. After hearing that Quoth made his money in one night across the river playing music, Kilvin says goodbye to Quoth, assuming that he wouldn't be wasting any more time making anything but music any longer. But I want to work here, Quoth says. Well, good. Not have wanted to lose you to the other side of the river. Music is a fine thing. Metal lasts. Quoth can't help but disagree silently. Metal rusts. Music lasts forever. Last stop, end of the line, as Quoth goes to find employ as a musician at a well-established, reasonably high-end inn on the university side of the river, the Horse and Four. No more muse for our boy Quoth. He will play three nights a span and get a room, food, and two whole talents a month. This reader can almost feel Quoth start to rise above his money problems. And Quoth does too, as he falls asleep well-fed with venison and tomato soup and in his new feather bed. And that's the end of the chapter. And it was a long one. Yeah, well summarized. <laughs> uh, this was a good chapter for our little hungover boy. We had some great stuff happen. Uh, yeah. Lots lots of hills and valleys in, in the King Killer Chronicle, The Name of the Wind. And this was a hill chapter. Yes. You know? We used to call these, when in, a, in the Song of Ice Fire, we used to call these sometimes uh, uh, catch-up chapters, right? Where we just got to kind of catch up with the business of the story. Get a lot of stuff done. Uh, thankfully, the stuff that's being done is all goes in Quoth's favor. You know, he drew yeah. he drew a great uh, chit for his admissions exam. He did, um, and then he ha- he got to you know humiliate Ambrose a little bit, which <laughs> felt good in the moment. But as okay. we're going to see, is not great yeah. for him yeah. later. Uh, we have Threep offering himself as Quoth's agent, essentially. Yeah, it's cool. Like, I mean, for him, 
Nice Even if guy. nothing comes of that, it's good to have friends in high places, right? Correct. And Threep is not only does he have money, but he's very popular. He has a great reputation. He's a good man to know across the river. Uh, things go well with Devi. He's got a potential yeah. library backup plan now. If he can't get into the archives, very limited library. Yeah, <laughs> but something, something. Yep. He gets his job back at the fishery. <clears throat> And That's he right. gets and he gets a great residency, yeah, for playing music, right? A great, yeah. awesome opportunity. Yeah, so I mean, we've talked about that before, right? Like he could just stop all this Chandrian nonsense and just go find an inn somewhere and just play and just be content. He's on his but, way, but but would he be content though? No, no. He's kind of a he's like a doer. Like he wants to go do stuff i think he'd get bored yeah. right even if he he's, didn't have the chandrian i feel like he'd get bored yeah yeah he's like. gonna he's gonna get some uh some advice from two masters the same advice later on in these chapters <laughs> yeah it's quite telling about yes. our boy quoth but yeah good stuff for him um what do you got what stuck out to you well uh, just a quick note i mean I'm sure I was better at this when I was younger than I am now, but my hangover day would have considered consisted of admissions than bed. I mean, <laughs> this guy is, he's hungover and he is out there doing everything. I mean, this is a busy day. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's true. I didn't think about it, but really the only time it talks about his hangover, if I remember right, is at the beginning of the chapter. Yeah. It feels like maybe a bit of a miss, not an important miss. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The young, the young recover from things quicker than, than the old do. That's true. It's, He's 15 it's, years it's, old. It's noted. I mean, I've never, I was never drunk at 15, but uh, it, it was just noted so strongly how much they drank in the last chapters. But like, mm-hmm. it feels like he'd be in rough shape. Yeah. It's not really mentioned about, I don't think they mentioned it for Sim and Willem at all. Right, and with him, it's kind of more of an afterthought. Anyway, it's yeah. not not worth spending a bunch of time on, but I just wanted to note it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I was also annoyed at Pat for Count Threep's first name. Like, yeah, remember this? It's like Denae's. Yeah, and he wants to be called Den. Like fucking really, Pat? We already got to deal with all of Dena's D names. This one's like exactly the same. You couldn't pick something else. But I understand completely because of the books that we have been reading together yes. for the past almost yeah. 10 years. You're right. Rainier, Child's play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Child's play compared to what George did to us. Oh my heavens. In some degree. But uh, I get it. I get it. Like, come on. What do you, what's, what's with these for you, buddy? Uh, Rothfuss likes the D. Okay. Whoops. Um, no. Whatever works for you. That's fine. Uh, uh, do you want to talk about the money thing? The debt thing? His choice with Devi? Uh, yeah. So, we've talked a little bit about the debt and how uncomfortable it makes us before, I think, you and I both. He's got eight talents in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Right, and he could just be 
basically just done with the thing. He could just pay it. Yeah. And he could be out of the woods because he's got, he already had two talents or whatever. He got eight from three. He could just pay this, have enough for tuition and be done. 100%. Just do it, man. That's <laughs> where I'm at. Yep. Like, uh, pay it off. Go play another night at the Eolian. Get some more pocket change. You'll be all right, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to get your get your take on it real quick. I'm I'm 100% with you. I would rather just be out from under it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from his perspective, and I think this is, maybe it's admirable, and maybe it's just a way he's very different than me, but I think he just believes in his ability to pull this off. He believes he's going to be able to make this four talents, no problem. Yeah. Right. He looks at last night. He's like, I made eight talents in one night. I can make, I can make the four for interest easy. Right. If I just stick, stick with the artificing and stick to the music. This is of course, before he got his job, which would, you know, two talent, two talents a month, that would cover it. So 100%. Maybe it's just, he believes in himself. I don't, I don't know whether it's admirable or exhausting. We've talked about that before that he does have that tremendous ability to bet on himself all the time. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I admire that. And big. And he bets big. Oh, yeah. 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 All in. All in. Um, Speaking of all in, you know, Will says about Ambrose to quote, every time you do this, it makes the eventual payback that much worse. Yeah. And we're about to see how that goes for him. You know, Quoth said before that he has to stand up to Ambrose, you know, going back to his days in Tarbine, he kind of needs to puff himself up like a peacock or something to kind of show that I'm not going to be pushed around. You can't just say those types of things to me. I kind of feel like with his music, his natural abilities that he's demonstrated, you know, whether he's at the university or at the Olean, he's demonstrating a tremendous amount of, I got talent. I can hold my own. Yeah. Yeah. Just shut your mouth, dude. Quoth. (laughs) Just shut your mouth, Quoth. Because it does get worse for you every time. Shut your mouth. Let your talents do your talking. You know, let your work at the university do the talking. Let your music do the talking. And shut your freaking mouth at this point. Who cares about what ambrose is saying you don't have to prove anything to him anymore and you don't have to prove anything to anyone at the university anymore shut up yeah there's i mean i think i think with age comes some of that wisdom to like just just let how much better you are than him do all the talking you got your pipes yep you exactly accelerated through all the programs at the university quicker than he did you can write poetry like you don't, you know, like just let your actions speak, but he's 15 years old or 15 years old, 14 years old, 15 years old, 15. And he just, he doesn't have that wisdom at all. And he's very prideful. Um, yeah. He's as prideful as he is talented. That's for sure. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm above that stuff too. I mean, let you know let your actions just speak for it maybe but i i take that kind of bait all the time too and it's hard not it's hard not to sometimes 
and for them at this point tremendously there's so much there's so much water under the bridge that nobody knows what the real score is and so they both fill them mccoy's baby yeah mccoy's right they both feel like they've got to always just get back at the other one yeah but yeah we're we're about to find out just how damaging that can be yeah yeah um yeah but but yeah i'm with you like just you know just put your when you see him approaching just put your hand down and pretend you don't have a tile to sell Right. just go talk to somebody else you know just yeah. and we have hindsight too yeah true. Uh, so but bugs me still and it, <laughs> even understanding that he's a 15 year old kid yeah and all of the things he's gone through and how his life experience is a lot different than mine it can still bother me yeah of course it can it's also i always like to try to remember like it's him telling us this story in the end so like he's mm-hmm. aware of like what an idiot he was right he even said it at the end of one of those chapters the last episode of the one before where he's like you know i couldn't have been more wrong about how big of a threat he was you know? yeah yeah and uh you know i think he he's not sparing any details and not making himself look any better as he tells this story so it does speak to some degree that he's gained some of that wisdom even at his ripe young age of whatever he is 24 or whatever he is now is the old man mm-hmm. Coat. Mm-hmm. so old man coat yeah. <laughs> uh threep not taking on new musicians i know that, that one <laughs> i like i mean it says the fact that he wouldn't take on quoth because he already has three other yeah what do you call him he's a patron for three other musicians yeah is incredibly admirable it demonstrates tremendous loyalty on threep's part because he's got you know friggin lebron james up there and and he's an agent for crap i back myself into a corner because i don't know enough basketball players to say that (laughs) i should use hockey (laughs) who are three like decent basketball players yeah, sure. We got ex jazz band Donovan Mitchell. We got uh, there. You go. Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's there's tons. Yeah, but I think we get your. I think we get your your metaphor. You got it. Draymond Green could he be one? <laughs> Steph, and... Steph Curry. Although I don't know, Steph I, Curry's I, pretty darn good. Yeah, I was trying to pick players that are maybe like sub sub part. Like maybe they're still playing Donovan on. Mitchell was good. They're like but, playing on the All Star yeah. team, but John not Wall. Those He's got John Wall. Yeah, his, yeah. Right? So you've got those three guys. Yeah. And then you just saw LeBron James play. You're telling me you wouldn't be willing to drop Wall yeah. and Green and Mitchell for it's, LeBron, you know? It's true. I wonder what I can't remember exactly how far he goes into like his responsibilities, but he says they bicker already with yeah. the three of them that he doesn't give them enough or have enough time for them. Like, I don't know what he had. Like, isn't it just money? Like, if it's so. just money, couldn't you just be like, okay, look. I can't spend a bunch of time you up with play dates and everything, but I can give you, I can sponsor you a little bit, you know, like mm-hmm. half patron. I don't know. I, I don't know what, what it takes to be a patron Yeah, for these guys other than money. Cause it seems like he's got plenty of money. Right. He threw eight right. talents from his purse haphazardly the, the previous night. Yep. I admire tremendously for his loyalty. Good on you. Yeah for sticking with your three guys true yeah boy boy yeah. what did you just let go 
<laughs> yeah. Well, we'll find out. We Maybe. will. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk Debbie real quick? Oh, Debbie. Besides the loan, I mean. Okay. Is she flirting with him? Yeah, she's totally you flirting think so? with him. I think so. The, well, here's Harvey the thing. she's just bored. <laughs> she doesn't get like any visitors. So she's just like, let me keep him around a little bit. Hey. Uh, yeah, we've never seen her in any other interaction with any other man, woman, yeah. or child for that matter. Yeah, that's hard uh, to in these books. So we see how she acts with Quoth, and it does feel flirtatious. Yeah. Um, but we don't see if that's just her personality. Yeah. It also She's seems just bored. <laughs> well, maybe bored isn't the right way. I mean, the people that come to see her are not, I don't, I don't get the impression she has friends coming to visit her. Sure. The people that come to see her are probably scared of her, right? They're there to conduct business and they probably don't want to like make it a long stay and make it more than just business. Yeah. And so she probably doesn't get a lot of meaningful human interaction of any kind. Right. Stimulating yeah. and, interaction. Yeah. And Quoth is game. He's just kind of, he'll talk to her and they got kind of a lot in common. Um, you know, so it's just kind of, I don't know. Maybe bored wasn't the right way to put it, but I think you get what I mean. That line in Wayne's world. And he's like, then I realized I was just bored, <laughs> yeah. but I can't remember to what he's referring to. Uh, he, he says, uh, yeah, with uh, hissing disease. What's it called? Oh yeah, one one. Oh, time I thought I had mono for mono an entire, for year. entire year. It turns out I was just really bored. <laughs> That's exactly. Yeah. What it was. That's just yeah. the line that I just heard Wayne Campbell <laughs> saying that in my head when you when you said yeah. that. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh man, and then of course, Scat. I just identified tremendously with the music lasting forever. Right. I knew you would. Yeah, I put a. Love that. I put one. a note down about it. Music and metal. How about we just make it metal music? Metal music and let that last forever. It's F yeah. F yeah. Raise your goblet of rock. <laughs> that's a good movie. Um, I think that's all I got. Yeah, I think that uh that mostly covers it. Okay. You want to go right, to chapter city one? 61 jackass jackass take it away jackass jackass um so we were at a hill of a chapter get ready to descend into some valley for old quoth uh with it being the equivalent of between semesters uh quoth had a lot of time to rest work and go to imre to look for denna after a dozen such jaunts proved unfruitful he had to admit to himself that Denna was well and truly gone. Sigh. He got some additional bad news while in Imre from his buddy Count Threep at the Aeolian. Ambrose had been mounting a smear campaign against Quoth, particularly amongst the nobles, and he'd done a pretty good job at it too. Not one was willing to become his patron. So Quoth and Threep did what any two creatives would do. They came up with a diss track for Ambrose, which they called Jackass Jackass, a nod to Ambrose's last name, Jackkiss. Yep. Uh, the song never actually mentioned Ambrose by name, but quote, anyone with half a wit could tell who the shoe was meant to fit, end quote. 
The song was catchy and spread quickly after its first performances at the Olean, which is great, right? Our boy Quoth has a hit song on his hands. Quoth also still had some money, meaning he could buy back his old book, Rhetoric and Logic. Remember that one, Scat, given to him by Abanthe? Oh, that it seemed like a lifetime ago. Uh, he was going to go buy it back from Master Lauren. You'll remember Quoth had pawned the book in Tarbeen before moving to the university. And Lauren, upon finding this out, went back to Tarbeen, bought it from the pawn shop, and had been holding it for Quoth ever since. Quoth did buy it back. And then while he was there in Lauren's office, used the opportunity to plead for readmittance to the archives. You remember, Lauren had banned him from the archives. Because Quoth had taken a candle and had it amongst some of the university's oldest and most precious documents. Uh, surprisingly, at a loss for words and confidence, Quoth stumbled through a pleading apology to Master Lauren. He used his whipping earlier that day as an excuse for not being in his right mind at the time, but claimed he would gladly be whipped again if he could just gain readmittance to the archives. He'd work there for free. He'd do anything. Master Lauren as you can imagine, was unmoved. He would allow Quoth back into the archives once he could, quote, demonstrate the patience and prudence which you have heretofore been lacking. <laughs> Good day. That was that. Uh, don't worry, though. The fun continues for Quoth. Um, the next day, he was called to appear at the horns. Remember that? when you get to appear before all the masters at the university on a charge of conduct unbecoming a member of the arcanum it was his song that was the reason ambrose was there and he was accusing quoth of slander the chancellor quickly dismissed the charge on the grounds that no one could prove the song was actually about ambrose and he lessened the charge to undignified mischief band name I call it scared. <laughs> Discipline is in store, and it would be levied in the form of a public letter of apology. But even with that, it was Ambrose who I feel took the worst of it in that uh, little meeting. He brought up what was seen as a very trivial charge towards the masters in the first place, and uh, the chancellor let him know that he was not pleased with being bothered with such a trivial matter. Anyways, the hits keep coming for Quoth. Not long after, the Horse and Four Inn, where Quoth was luxuriously stating, as Scad summarized, uh, it got a new owner all of a sudden. And that owner would not allow Quoth to board there. Fired him, basically. Kicked him out. Quoth went around peddling his abilities to other inns, confident that with his pipes he would be able to get a new job somewhere else. But not one. Not one on either side of the river would take him in except for one, the old, reliable, rundown Anchors. Uh, Quoth was thankful for it. Anchor was getting a talent like Quoth at a bargain price, but Quoth was comfortable there. He got a room to stay in, and he liked it, even as he was furious at Ambrose for what his nemesis had cost him. And it was in that anger that Quoth composed his formal apology letter to Ambrose. In it, he included a full transcription of the lyrics to Jackass Jackass, along with two newly written unperformed verses and an apology 
for each ribald, vulgar dig and innuendo mentioned in the song, line item by line item. Uh, he printed over a hundred copies, calling in a favor that Scad mentioned earlier. And he and his friends pasted those copies all over town using a special adhesive that would be very hard to remove. Uh, this letter was beyond foolish. And upon later reflection, Quoth realized it may have been one of the primary reasons Ambrose later tried to kill him. And on that note, the chapter ends. Yeah. Where to start? This is a, this is a bit of a whirlwind one. The, <laughs> going up on the horns and, and Ambrose getting the punishment. You know, the worst kind of punishment, kind of getting admonished for bringing it up at all is like, when my youngest comes up screaming like you know uh mary called me a jerk well, okay <laughs> do do i have to referee this again like you're wasting my time yeah ignore them move on you know mary don't do it but like you're wasting my time just please resolve this yourselves you're old enough to figure this out absolutely yep yeah, Ambrose has come from privilege, and that was definitely showing. But um, the result still, even though it feels like Ambrose got the worst of it, really downstream, as Quoth indicates, that it kind of results in him trying to get trying to kill him. Uh, and Ambrose trying to kill him, maybe Quoth really does get the worst of this. I uh, mean, yeah, yeah. And not to mention, you know, what goes on with... Uh, him not being able to get a patron, I guess that's prior, but now losing his job. You know, Scad, when it comes to revenge, money can matter. It totally can matter. And he he had been warned about this. Mm -hmm. Remember, he uh, was at Willem, I think, in several, several, several chapters ago now, said that, you know, he was, that Ambrose was seeing a, a, a woman who just like, what, disappeared, I think? Ooh. Like, like mm -hmm. that that he had circumstances arise somehow by paying someone off to spread rumor or something. I mean, like he's not above using his money to get get these results as he's done with these taverns. And we mentioned we mentioned a long time ago we had an episode where we kind of talked about heroes and villains, you know, that he runs into so many of them that just kind of become minor heroes in his story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anchor is another one, right? Who's just not intimidated. Good call, yeah. Mm -hmm. Not going to be not going to be controlled. Mm -hmm. Owns the tavern himself and doesn't want to be bought. Um you know, it's a little surprising. Feels like almost everybody has a price. Like what if he doubled it? What if he tripled it? Yeah. You feel yeah. like Ambrose has that kind of money. I mean, obviously, if he's paying off I mean, dozens of bars. How many ends? Yeah, dozens. Yeah. yeah, like some of them. Was he literally he offering have to these innkeepers? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So anchor, yeah, I, a minor hero to me. One of my favorite minor characters in this story. Good and, call. Uh, you get that part when he's in his room there, where he says he was home, mm -hmm. and that you know the first time he's felt home since being with his with his caravan, right? What do you think brought along brought up those feelings of home uh, at Anchor specifically? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe because Anchor feels more salt of the earth, you know, like mm -hmm. his like his family was. 
um, to him. I don't know if it's anything specifically about the location or the room itself. He kind of describes it smaller, but it wouldn't have, it wouldn't really have reminded him of, of his troop at all. Right. right. Which is very much outside a lot of the time and circling wagons, a very kind of um, a public, right. With, with the rest of the family and open, this is, you know, it's just a little room by himself. So it is yeah. a little bit of, it's a little bit weird that it makes him feel that way. Maybe what be, he means is like settled or safe. Safe. Yeah. You've got a guy downstairs that can't be bought. Yeah. Right. So there's safety in that. Right. Be interesting. I just thought of this to go back and look at the description to Quoth's hideaway in Tarbine. Yeah. With the and slopes. see how much it, yeah. Yeah. how much it matches up to how he describes this. And if there's maybe something there, but I do like what you're saying about the safety, the safety of it too. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And I, I do mean, remember there he talks about how the, the ceiling is sloped in this room and there was like a like a sloped overhang or something that helped mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the Tarbine location, if I remember right. So yeah, maybe something to that. Right. I like it. Um <laughs> there's some there's some humor in this. Rothfuss writes these, you know, uh we got a friend on Twitter uh at dong of ice and fire yeah great human um she's talking, fantastic yeah. talking to her on uh i can't remember if it was on blue sky or twitter for a little bit she was saying that she tried to read the king killer chronicle and kind of gave up oh yeah i saw that she I said, did, never got any information about the chandrian or something yeah yeah and i i said you know i've started just reading it as like a teenage romance like a like a high school dramedy story, like yeah. freshman in college type thing. And that just increased my enjoyment of it immensely. Um, and she said, well, maybe I'll give it another try. I hope you do, my friend. Um, and she said, I'll listen to it from that perspective and see if I like it more. But Rothfuss throws these things in there that are just so like charming and funny. And uh, the line, the specific line I'm referring to, uh, after my sixth fruitless trip to Imre, I decided to abandon my search. After my ninth, I convinced myself it was a waste of valuable time. After my 14th trip, <laughs> yeah. I came to the deep realization that I wouldn't find her. <laughs> yes. But he's not done looking anyway. No, he's not. <laughs> we'll see, as we'll see in an upcoming chapter. He has a humor to him. Yes, he does. That is, it's effortless. And, yeah. you know, immense this very heavy story. And we've dealt with some very heavy themes yeah. in this book so far. There's casual bits of just charming comedy that just delight me. Yeah. I I'm thinking of your you know teen romance novel, and part of me wants to hate it. But I can't ar- <laughs> I can't argue with it either. Like it, yeah, like a coming of age, yeah, like coming of age story, but right. Except yeah. the guy already is good at everything and Right. Just needs to get over a few flaws. It's an incredibly shallow way to look at it. But if you're reading it from that perspective, it kind of sheds this. You see it from a different light and it's kind of fun. So, yeah. I mean, like to some degree, a lesson for life, right? Like if you can just, you just take a step back from things and take them a little less seriously, Mm -hmm. you know, and just kind of like enjoy them for what they are. I'm terrible at that. But if you can do it, yeah, things might just be a lot easier for you, like in life. Yeah, listen, fam. Some of my favorite movies are Can't Hardly Wait, 
Clueless. Uh, there's some early 2000s Amanda Bynes films that I enjoy. Mean Girls, I mean, which we covered with the Calisone. Mean Girls. Yep. I, you know, so looking at it from this uh, perspective should surprise nobody when, sure. when it comes to me. Um, uh, yeah. What else you got? I do have, you know, um, I need to, to make a mention. There's one passage in this that I left out of my summary completely just because of the fact that the chapter is already really long and this moment didn't really drive the story along at all. But upon arriving at the archives to speak with Master Lauren, yeah. uh, kind of in the lobby area of the archives, Quoth um, encounters a new character, a scriv slash giller named Viari. And uh, he seems like a really cool guy. It it hurt me a little bit to keep him out of the summary, but I did it. And that's what I did. So there. Um, What do you think of this character and his job? Well, it fits to keep him out of. To keep him out of the summary, because it doesn't fit in the chapter. He's just there and then he's gone and then on with what folks doing. Yeah, it's like a good thing. Another Wayne's World reference, I guess. Good thing that guard was there. The information seemed extraneous at the time. Like, <laughs> no spoilers or anything, because I, I really don't know. But it feels like this is maybe a meaningful interaction, but it doesn't mean anything to us right now. Correct. It's, I mean, the guy kind of reminds me a little bit of Aragorn, you know, like a weary road traveler. It mentions, like, the dust yeah. on his boots and or the dirt on his boots. and. But he uh, seems he, pretty good humored. Like, yes. Yeah. Polite yeah. and yeah, nice. He knows all the languages. I mean, he, I think he uses three or four in that little interaction, talking to Will and then two different languages with Quoth. I think it seems like he knows everything. I don't, yeah. I mean, we hear about Gillers um, a little bit. It seems like this guy's meant, I think Willem says, he's meant to go around and collect books essentially to bring back. What a job, right? You just get yeah. to find really cool books. But here's but, the rub. Homeboy's got scars all over him. He carries yeah. two weapons. Yeah. Like, how dangerous is this job of going out and collecting books? Right. So more in Debbie after dark, perhaps. But correct. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real rarity. Quoth mentioned he's like, I haven't seen a weapon since I got here. Mm-hmm. Nobody's carrying weapons. It's not done. Um, so but but the most the most intriguing thing is and i don't know how it's a little weird because if viari really knows the rue like it seems like he does cuz he says i if i had more time i'd stay and give you like a, an update on the family right and he yeah. uses the one family he phrase he uses the traditional right yep phrase so like he's it could just be that he's well traveled and he speaks to everybody and kind of knows all cultures and so he's able to just kind of meld and move and and, and talk to anybody kind of with ease and that's possible but it feels like he really knows the Rue based on this very limited interaction. And you'd think, you'd think Quoth would be not letting this guy out of his scent. Like, okay, well, I'm following you until I hear your story. <laughs> you know, like, this sounds like exactly the kind of guy that might have information that Quoth wants. Right? Like, like bye. I'm, I'm stunned that he doesn't just follow this guy. Anyway, yep, yep. you were. I think you're right to kind of leave it out. I don't know how you fit it in. It's just a weird. 
right little interaction but it's full of promise for me yeah there's definitely more to it definitely chris farley standing guard outside the concert with information that will be very very useful to wayne and garth later seemed extraneous at the time (laughs) uh but yeah i'm excited for more viari if if we get them uh what what about just moving forward into that next conversation with lauren uh Mm -hmm. which is you know, maybe that's what kept him there is he did have that piece of his past that he wanted to go get. And yeah, technically was going to get to go back into the archives for like a second just to see Lauren. Just to smell it for a little bit. Right. So maybe that that was the drug that kept him from chasing after Viari, maybe. <laughs> what did you think yeah, of that interaction? Uh, about what I would expect. Yeah. 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 What about you? Yeah. I, Lauren is I'm so torn on him. He's Whether pretty he's predictable, a good guy or not a good guy. That goes for VRE too, I suppose. More in Devi after dark, but it feels it feels like he knows. I don't know if he's doing it on purpose, but he knows exactly how to challenge Quoth and how to piss. Oh, him. for sure. He for he sure. challenges him with the one thing he knows Quoth doesn't have: right. patience. Yeah, like Quoth is the least patient character I've maybe ever read. I mean, mm-hmm. he just doesn't have it in him, and. And Lauren, for his part, is old, knows exactly how time, how fast time moves and how fast it doesn't move, and is perfectly content to just let him yeah. wait a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so it makes you just kind of hate the guy. Like, would you just let him succeed a little bit? Yeah. But also, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not sure on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Owing to Kvothe's pride, sometimes you like to see the prideful get taken down a couple notches. It's true. Um, to stand up for Kvothe a little bit, like, how else is he supposed to demonstrate prudence and patience to Lauren in this regard? You know, yeah. it, it hasn't been in the grand scheme of themes that long, but it's been, what, two, three, quote unquote, semesters so yeah. far where Kvothe hasn't been able to take advantage of the archives at all. And it's not like he has Wi-Fi at home to go look stuff up to study and everything. He, I mean, what else is he supposed to do? How else is he supposed to demonstrate prudence and patience? Is he just supposed to just keep going? Like, And, you know, maybe Lauren just really believes in his ability to do without, but how do they expect him to succeed at the university without that's what I mean. That resource, right? That's like, what I mean. He can't go just look stuff up on the internet. Yeah. Like, so he it, needs it, that to be yeah, successful. It, it feels a little unfair. It and you're right. It almost feels like Lauren trying to stack the deck for him to fail. Yeah. What else is right? what? How does he demonstrate prudence and patience to Lauren? How does he do that? Yeah. Besides just waiting it out another semester, being at a disadvantage from the other students. Yeah. And each time that, his admissions money going up. up yeah right I, yes so it, se- it seems like he's almost trying to like stack it against him right but also he he has many opportunities to do more and do worse every time he goes up on the horns lauren seems measured and not vindictive right he seems kind of he seems kind of normal right kind of like himself yeah so it he voted for like him to be you know, right for the yeah. charge to be dismissed when it came to the 
you know, in the last chapter. So, yeah. yeah. So he's, it's, it's an interesting take that he's got. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm really, Is it he's tough one of the characters I'm really not sure what yeah. to think of. Yeah. I feel you, brother. Yeah. I feel you. Okay. Uh, um, the apology letter is not prudent. Uh, no, no, and he makes a point. <laughs> he makes <laughs> he makes a point to say that he really sat down and wrote this that night in anchors that first. Oh night yeah, yeah. Because he was so angry that he spent hours and hours getting rejected and and that he kind of did it out of revenge so it's like he knows it'd be interesting to know whether he knew he was doing it for that reason in the moment or whether he just knows it now that he's telling it for us to us from the tavern right did he know then that he was really doing it out of spite and revenge for that day i don't know but it's a bad idea regardless you'd think he would have learned his lesson from the afternoon he just had but instead he doubles down he doubles the freak down and I was reminded of the great line in A Knight's Tale, one of my favorite moments, the Jeffrey Chaucer character, I will eviscerate you in fiction. <laughs> every pimple, every character flaw. Yeah. I was naked for a day. You will be naked for eternity. He says. Uh, yeah, I think that was the first thing I saw him in. And he was just so good. He's so great in that. Yep. Paul, Paul Bettany. So we're Paul Bettany, one of my favorite actors. In A Knight's Tale. If you haven't seen A Knight's Tale, really go watch it. It's hilarious. How have we not and covered it for for Films Get Fingered? It is such a good movie. We had people vote on it once. It didn't get, yeah. it didn't win. I think it was kind of close, but it didn't win. We should anyway. just do it. Yeah, it's Opportunity. such a good movie. Yep. Uh, I know you just did uh, original music like an episode ago, but it'd be fun to hear Jackass Jackass. I thought about that. We only really have one <laughs> line, though, and it's the yeah, line yeah. that, um, what's his name? Sings yes, three, three. as they're, no, it's, uh, oh, at oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, Aloden, Aloden, he walks yep. out. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. That's another that's another tongue twist. Eolian, the place where he plays, and then yes, Elodin, Elodin yeah. the friggin' master. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's all I got, buddy, for that chapter. That's all I got too. Let's move it on. Leaves. Let's do it. Why don't we? Oh, we wanted to oh, do a, a little insert. This is new, Kalisar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we like to give recommendations. Us giving recendations is not new. We give too many, probably. Probably more than people want, but you'll want one these for ones. Nice tale. Yeah. <laughs> you'll want these ones. You know, Scad and I were talking about the fact that our friends do so much amazing good amplifying their own voices, and we want to amplify their voices too. So, you know, on these episodes, we we thought it would might be fun to take a second and recommend a podcast from one of our friends, right? So uh this time. Yeah. We thought that we would recommend Ghost Gad. The Star Wars Legends Lounge, which is it's a little self-serving of us because we've been Absolutely. on this podcast recently. Uh Aaron is the the creator and host of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. And uh right the now. Same Aaron who participated in our Meet the Kalisar, longtime yes. Blood Rider. 
Uh, he did an episode. Oh, clear back. He's one of our beginning meet the Kalisar guys. He did the Courtney Penrose chapter, didn't he? Yeah. And I'm not prepared with the episode number. Sorry, guys. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but we've been guessing on that along with some of other of our friends in the fandom. Uh, and he does just a fantastic job. The episodes are usually right around an hour. He covers a whole book in that time. Uh, does it with a masterful, uh, well put together summary that does not doesn't take the whole episode and then discusses things from that book, um, you know, of interest. And uh, it's been a blast to be on that with him. Actually, uh, I have I'm guesting next week, and an episode will be out roughly the same time this episode publishes. So look for that. But in general, look for the Star Wars Legends Lounge, which they can find where Matt. You can find it. I usually listen to it on Spotify, but it's also on YouTube and just about anywhere you get your podcasts. If you just Google Star Wars Legends Lounge, you can find it. Um, I've listened to it on Apple Music before. Um, but yeah, check it out. Yeah. And he specifically, I don't know if we mentioned this, the podcast covers uh, oh, yes. books what is, yeah. from the Star Wars Expanded, the Star Wars Expanded Universe, now known as Legends books these were the books that came out after the original trilogy um starting in the well i guess technically one came out in between a new hope and empire strikes back called splinter of the mind's eye but where they really kicked off was in the early 90s with the heir to the empire trilogy written by timothy zahn and then continued down up until the disney acquisition of star wars um and it just deals yeah. with all of the stuff that happened in a galaxy far, far away before episode seven, eight, nine came out with Disney. I gotta tell you, just if you haven't read Legends and you're kind of craving some Star Wars, it is different, right? It's different than the canon Disney's got going now. But it's getting me. It's starting to get me. I used it's to kind of you, scoff Scotty. at you, Matt, and it's getting me. And you're like, it's oh, come on, you. it can't be that good. But I'm enjoying it. I mean, I I gotta say, not to be like a downer. Ahsoka's like one of my favorite, if not my favorite characters. I'm enjoying these books more than I'm enjoying anything Disney's putting out. Andor was a shining exception, but sure. But these books are good, man. They're these a they're a great. fun they're a fun dive into this universe. It's a kind of a different way to look at the universe for sure. Leia and Han have a very different dynamic than they than they do in you know the later movies sequels, but. Uh, you know, for an example, but uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of getting me. It's a, it's a fun, if you like Star Wars and you've never delved into it and you're like, I'd like something a little different to try on, go try it on. It's like yeah. uh, putting on a new pair of pants. He never tried before. It's nice. <laughs> but they're sort of familiar at the but same time because they're yeah. your characters. And after a while it becomes a part of you. We're it doing a lot a of Wayne's of world tonight. It's a lot of Wayne's world. Not yeah. planned. Um, yeah, specifically the books that we are reading and guesting on with Aaron uh, is is a 19 book series within this expanded universe called the New Jedi Order series that takes place 25 years, 25 ish years. Yeah, after the events of episode four. Um, so you've got, got right yeah, yeah, we uh. It's, you know, Luke Skywalker has brought Jedi back to the galaxy, trained a whole new order of Jedi. Uh, you've got Han and Leia. You've got Wedge Antilles. You've got Admiral Akbar. 
familiar favorites, old and new. Definitely, we've loved reading those ones. There are some stinkers in the Star Wars Expanded Universe, fam. (laughs) But uh, this New Jedi Order is great. Uh, The aforementioned Heir to the Empire trilogy by Timothy Zahn is also fantastic. So if you're looking for starting points, those would be good places to start. And you can just start with Aaron's podcast because he'll get you going too. Looking at, yeah, he said, like Scad said, he summarizes the books and analyzes them. Uh, I've been rereading a lot of the Legends books for the past couple of years now. And there's some that I just don't even bother reading because I just listen to Aaron's episodes and I consume them that way. Nice, nice. Anyway, that's right. uh, that's our little recommendation for this uh, this episode. Uh, we'll come back at you next episode with another one of uh, with another one podcast we recommend. All right, back to Name of the Wind, Chapter Sixty Two, right. Leaves, Leaves, Leaves. Yeah. Okay, here's the rub, Scad. For Quoth to have gainful work, he needs to study. Mm-hmm. But to continue studying, he needs to work. So he takes on a lighter study load this semester in order to continue working in the Medica and as an apprentice in the fishery. His hope was that he could learn enough at the fishery in particular to pursue his own projects, which he could then sell on commission, which would give him money to pay back Devi so that he could keep studying at the university. It's a lot. Round and round we go. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, one day in the fishery, Master Kilvin introduces Quoth and the other Greenwoods, I assume that means students, people that work there, to the workshop's newest addition, a 10-gallon sealed metal container of a substance called Regim Ignal Narotum, sure. colloquial, colloquially bone tar. As Manet puts it to Quoth, it's a caustic substance that boils at room temperature, could eat through bone if it came through, if it came into human contact, and it burns on contact with air. Uh, Experts can use it to make a different type of emitter for sympathy lamps that burns blue instead of the standard red. These blue lamps go for mucho bucks on the open market, and Quoth instantly sees dollar signs, and he asks Manet to teach him how to produce them. And then, all of a sudden, there she was again. Okay, so it wasn't all that sudden. But one night, as he's playing his normal residency show at Anchors, he saw a girl there watching him who looked similar to... Oh, wait, that's not similar. That's her. That's Denna. She's there. It was really her. No longer even able to focus on the music that he was playing, he engaged the crowd in singing Tinker Tanner to the point that they were singing and making up new verses all on their own, most of them in varying states of inebriation, just so that he can slip away by him with the girl he'd been searching for ever since that night at the Aeolian Clearback in episode 147. So he's escaped from his job, and while they stroll in the evening darkness, Quoth brings up Savoy. And to his satisfaction, didn't Denna doesn't seem too keen on talking about Savoy when he brings up the honor code of, you know, in the words of Parks and Rec, deuteruses before uteruses, uh, (laughs) the concept of stealing a friend's lady. She replies simply but earnestly in one of the sexiest statements in the whole book so far, I think, Scad, quoth, steal me. Yeah. And so he does. She chafes at the fact that every other man always gives her roses. Roses! What's so great about them? Why do they remind men of her and other women for that matter? 
She then presents him with a test. What kind of flower would Quoth say best, best represents her? Quoth puts a lot of thought into it, like pages of thought into it. He jumps from dandelions to nightshade to nettle to wild oat to daisies to thistle and so on until finally he comes into it. The Celis flower. Celis? I don't know. He says it's a deep red flower that grows on a strong vine. Its leaves are dark and delicate. They grow best in shadowy places. But the flower itself finds stray sunbeams to bloom in. That suits you, Quoth says to Denna. There is much of you that is both shadow and light. It grows in deep forests and is rare because only skilled folk contend one without harming it. It has a wondrous smell and is much sought and seldom found. Yes, since I am forced to pick, Quoth says, I would choose Selas. That's nice, but wrong. <laughs> she says, daisies, simple and sweet. That's the way to her heart. <laughs> uh, but for Quoth, she says, he's a willow blossom. He hadn't even heard of willows having blossoms. Uh, she says, you remind me of a willow, strong, deep-rooted, and hidden. You move easily when the storm comes, but never farther than you wish. Um, and she does say the willow moves to the wind's desire. Ooh, hours pass uh, with conversations like this. Five hours to be exact. As if, and they pass as if it was just a moment to quote. But in the end, the doorstep scene in front of the inn where she was staying. Right? Our little coming of age story. Gotta have a doorstep scene. Uh, Quoth has just had the most incredible evening, but he has... And all 15 years old of him has no idea what to do now. Does he kiss her? Does he hold her? Does he say something romantic? Homeboy airs on the side of caution. He uh, makes his goodbyes. And she goes inside. The door shuts. Quoth is elated, though. What a night. Until he's not elated. The doubt sets in. Why the later. F hadn't he <laughs> kissed her? Why did he say all that ridiculous stuff? He talked so much. Oh my gosh. But at the same time, he should have been bolder. Like he should, um, but maybe he should have been more cautious. Like what if he moved to, oh no, he should. Oh no, 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 no. But Scad, she'd smiled. She laughed. That's the end of the chapter. She literally said, steal me. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, that that relatable post date feeling. <laughs> Pat, Pat writes it so well. I mean, you feel like you're. I don't know. I felt like I'm just back there. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Seventeen, eighteen years old, having these exact same feelings, which you know happened only a handful of times for me. But, uh, man, yeah, just the the wave of emotions and possibilities after a even after what seemed like a really perfect night, you're still unsure and uncertain. And did I say the wrong thing? And probably she was just being polite. They were just being polite. It just, he writes it so well. I mean, it it's just delightful. takes you right back there. It's delightful. You just feel how, for him. How were you on those doorstep scenes, Matt? Oh man. It brought me back to one in particular. Where I was yeah. on a date, I was probably, I was 16. I remember I drove, so I must have been 16 or 17. And the girl that she was, I, I couldn't believe she actually agreed to go on a date with me. And mm -hmm. um, she was beautiful, very popular in school and stuff. Yeah. And the date went quite well. And 
it ended just like this doorstep. I had no idea what to say. And as soon as I got in the car, it was immediately apparent to me that I could have kissed her. Yeah. It would have gone all right. Like, (laughs) well, who knows how it would have gone. And the regret is always, you never (laughs) know how they go. You, that's true. That's true. But you could have done. You could have done it without being slapped, at least. Yeah. Correct. Correct. I I believe that. Yeah, that would have it been was... acceptable to her. Um, uh, and I mean, it doesn't matter now. But so what did did anything? Sixteen, later? seventeen year old me driving home was just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, just killing myself. Uh, we remained friends. She, we remained good friends okay. through the rest of high school, but nothing ever went beyond never... that. Never yeah. Went again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. Mm. I don't Are know you more bold than me? I. Yeah. I. I don't know. I don't know where it comes from, but I get. It takes me some time to work up for it. Up, work up to it. So if there's a clock going, you know, I, I might not get there, but. Yeah, I. I think I kind of do, tend to. I. I remember. One. One time. I was flirting with this girl. I mean, we had we'd been flirting for a long time, and even made out a couple times. So I guess it, no, we hadn't made it. No, no, because no, we definitely hadn't. We'd been flirting for a long time, though. Nice. Uh, it was very apparent that that she was interested, but we never had gone on a date. Never fooled around. We'd never done anything. And and I remember that because the way this came about is that we actually made a bet. She had never been kissed, actually. And we made a bet. Uh, she was going on a date with a friend of mine. And I was like, you're not, you're not going to kiss him. If you kiss him, I'll go out with this other girl that you, that you think that I like. I'll take her on a date. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't, though, I'm going to kiss you. That was the deal. Yeah, well, do it, right? Like I was very, I was bold with this, with this bet. She goes on this date with this friend of mine, lies about it, and claims to have kissed him. Makes me go on the date with this other girl, who's a fantastic, her. who's a fantastic girl, wonderful person, uh, pretty. She was shy. Let's just say she was shy. This other girl. So I go on the date or whatever. She's angry that I go on a date with this other girl. Apparently, <laughs> We're talking about it later, I remember clear as day under one of my parents' trees at, the, at my parents' house, uh, and. We're talking about the fact that she lied to me about it, and I just kissed her right there. I just, I was like, "Well, okay," and I just did it. I'm and sure it was... it was a little more awkward than that. Like I'm an unreliable narrator in this case too. Yeah, but and that it went okay. My man, it went okay. My man, and it sounds like yeah. things continued in maybe an uncertain state, but beneficial. Yeah, we, you know, we... Yeah, we 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 were together for a little. You dated, yeah, you officially yeah. dated, yeah. Yeah, for a little while. Were you in high school? This was. It was like the very end of high school. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um. Into like into summer. Right. Yeah. The summer after senior year. Yeah, that's a great time to have those relationships because you're going to go out to college anyways. Like. Right. Not a lot of strings yeah. attached. Yep. As long as there's a mutual understanding between the two of you that that's what's going to happen. No yep. harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. exactly, that's, yep, sure. Those are the days, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
anyway uh yeah mm. i think i'm more bold than i think i am sometimes yeah. good for you good for yeah. you yeah hmm. well so let's just have it out so so if quote had gone for it let's say he had just said denna would, would you just stay with me we'll make this crazy world make sense together we'll you know just we'll stick together would yeah. she have done it is he right to be so careful with her in every way? I don't think he would. I don't think she would have done it, man. What we're Not seeing. Over, and this is taking into account what we're going to see in the next couple chapters with her. Right. Yeah. Yep. I don't think she would have done it, man. I think he would. Yeah. I think it would have made his fall that much harder. So yeah. why, why I'm like, dude, just, just do it, man. Go for it. Well, you got this, you got this buddy at the same time. He made the prudent choice, even if he didn't know he did. Because I don't yeah. think she would have stuck around. What about you? Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I, Den is hard to figure out for me. Steal me, steal me implies that she wants that. That's more than just flirtation. That feels like she wants it to be almost like a an ongoing permanent thing. This is not I like a, a night, you know. I hear you. But at the same time, everything she's shown is that she's not about that. Right. Yeah. And we see that this thing with Savoy is obviously not interesting to her anymore. And whether rumors are true, there's rumors circulating about her and being kind of flighty uh, and not wanting to settle down with any one guy, which is completely her prerogative. But uh, yeah, if Koth Koth throws all his eggs in that basket, that could make the fall that much harder. And it's, you know, it's too early for a statement as grand as I said, right? Like, let's forget about the world and just be together. That's, that's too far. But if he, if he you tried are a to bold make man, something, up, well, yeah, yeah, let's not get too crazy about that. I'm, I'm still me, you know, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I read this chapter and there's so much going on between them, the flower, like he's so careful and the analysis that he gives should show her that he knows her a lot better right than she probably thinks and that he's very considerate about it and that's probably why she likes him but it's even with things like steal me even with that i have to keep in mind like maybe he just makes her feel comfortable there's a song in uh six the musical which uh the song of fire musical queens was based on Mm -hmm in which one of the characters is a really tragic song. Um, it kind of sounds flighty and fun, but it's, it's not, it's very sad. Mm. She's kind of goes through her life from, from being a young girl into adulthood, kind of always looking for just a, seems like a friend, somebody to talk to and just relate to. And they always end up wanting to get in her pants every single, like three or four times in a row, always. Yeah. And maybe Maybe a small part of me is like, maybe Denna just, she feels safe and comfortable with him and she never feels safe and comfortable. And so, yeah, six hours walking, if I feel safe while I'm doing it, yeah. If I, even if I got to lead the guy on and say, steal me to keep him coming, I don't know, man. My heart breaks for her if that's the case, right? Sure. And maybe it's worth it. Sure. It's only a small part of me that feels that way that, about yeah. this, but it's in there. I wonder what she felt walking into that inn at the end of the night. Yeah. 
She was like, that idiot. <laughs> Maybe. Like, we don't know. How much harder do I have to try? Yeah. What more do I have to put out there to show him that he could? Yeah. Yeah. I love her sass, though. Oh. The, when he's given all the flowers and she's like, I, or, or he's stalling to give her a flower and she's like, it seems like you're trying to think that I've forgotten the question. I haven't. Pick a flower. <laughs> yeah. Judging by her personality, she'd walk into the house and be like, all right, his loss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's a fascinating character. She is. Yep. Uh, the uh, The exchange reminded me of Parks and Rec. Remember that episode when they are looking at pictures of dogs and assigning them to different characters in the office like ron is like a like a bulldog Uh and crazy craig it's later in this series because it's got craig uh is like a crazy like chihuahua type dog like like a really scrappy yelly dog and then he's a loud guy right like the really loud Yeah, yeah yeah this is my friend donna she brought me here yes yeah right he's that guy's famous now right? yeah All he's awesome he's, yeah um and there's they're trying to figure out what donna would be donna meagle uh-huh. april like does a really surface level like you're a poodle uh-huh. because uh-huh. you like nice uh-huh. things and da, 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 da. and donna gets like gives her the silent treatment and gets really offended mm-hmm. and upset with you her and try and causes april to like really like think hard about it and april uh-huh. spends like hours maybe like a day agonizing over it uh-huh. and i think where they where does she finally land i think she lands on like you're not a dog at all you're a cat because of these reasons oh. and and then donna instantly gives like a big smile and gives her a hug and <laughs> but it <laughs> was just, donna about just the effort donna wanted to be seen for who she yes. really was you know not yes. the fact that she likes nice things and takes care yes. of herself and da 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 Yes. Good, so I, I pull. I think Dana, you know, she appreciated that, like you said. I think it added to her feeling safe and seen, and that's important. Yeah. Well, away from that chemistry to a little bit of a different kind of chemistry. Uh this bone tar. Bone tar? Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. The the uh new thing in the giant vat in the in the fishery. It's interesting. I did a little. I did a little research on it. Mm. Uh, first of all, this is a clear Chekhov's gun, right? Something's going to happen. Sure. This. I almost left it out, just like Viola in the previous chapter, but because yeah. he wanted to use it as a money-making device yeah, later, I kept it in. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's clear it's going to be used somehow. It's. I mean, he's, they spend two pages talking about it. Yep. Now, I'm not a scientist. Uh, and I have, but I do have it on good authority from a single Reddit source, the one, the one that I Ooh, found. Very good. Uh, that I consulted. Gases, despite what Kilvin says about this material, gases generally do not have surface tension at any sort of normal temperature or conditions. So this gas is weird. Totally. It doesn't behave like any gases we know in our world. Yeah. It has surface mm-hmm. tension, which gas does not have, according to this Reddit source. I'd love to be proved wrong. If uh, any of you scientists out there want to, to weigh in, please do. Uh, viscosity, though, is a relative term. He also says it's visco- it has viscosity. Um, 
gases can be viscous with viscosity increasing as temperature increases, usually. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, little science, just a little science, mm. real quick. Okay. Doesn't help me understand it any better. <laughs> no, no. But I do come away with a greater appreciation for Rothfuss's imagination. So yeah, I think of it like um, I think he even says this a little bit in there. I think of it like a floating ball of mercury, but gas. Yeah, but gassy. Like it'll kind of yeah. stick together unless you like separate it. Uh huh. That's the surface tension part, right? Yeah, but then it instantly ignites, right? It can if you uh, interact with it certain ways. Right. Yeah. Wild. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, you got anything more here? I don't. Fun chapter. I'll ask just one more personal question. Have you ever had this, like, like Quoth does with Denna, and just like basically ups and leaves his job? Have you ever had this with someone where you're just, you'll set whatever aside for them? Just definitely. Yeah. Definitely. As a youth or now or? Um, well, I do anything for my wife now, for sure. Yeah. But uh, I've, I remember when Padme and I, we just gotten engaged actually, but she was going back to Idaho over Christmas and to be with her family. And I was staying with my family for Christmas. And I decided on Christmas day, I just had to see her. Just had uh -huh. to see her. Yeah. Got up, open presents, spent a little bit of time with my family, got in my car and just drove went. to Idaho and just went wow. to Idaho. You know, you did, did you tell me the rest of the family festivities? Yeah, I did. Okay. But my wife and I were just actually Good. watching the uh, Beckham documentary. Have you watched that yet on Netflix? No. no. It's, it's got a lot of talk about it. And so when something's like really fatty, I'm usually like Victoria Beckham, you mean, right? Yeah, and David. Oh. David in particular. Yes. Victoria plays prominently. And you know how I feel about the Spice Girls. So I do know. I was That's pleased to I kind of made pleased to watch it. <laughs> uh but he in it he talks about how he would drive four hours to see her for twenty minutes and then turn oh. around and drive back, you know? Wow. And his teammates and his his uh his coach, what do they call coaches and that? They call him something different. Uh, trainer. Manager. Yeah, trainer. Yeah, they pissed at him because he was always leaving the team and stuff like that. But he's yeah. David Beckham at the same time. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he would drive four hours, see her for 20 minutes, and then have to turn around and drive back. Wow. But I did it, man. That's what you do. It's a big investment. Yeah. What about you? I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't think I shirk responsibility very well. Mm -hmm. Not well. But have you ever just been like I'm, impulsive? I'm better at, the same at it. Time I'm better at it now. <laughs> at shirking responsibility. <laughs> Getting pretty good at it now. We'll leave it at that. Oh, but, I'm uh, proud of you, buddy. Good job. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't remember being that way. Mm. Where I just drop everything for somebody. Yeah. Like I got this stuff to do. You know. Like I that's can't probably just... that's probably smart. I don't know. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's, you know, it, I wrote down this. I don't, I don't even know if I meant it this way at the time, but both invests in people, right? 
Like, I think that's what's most important to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, like, the job is like, well, Anchor fires me over it. Like, I hate to let Anchor down. He's another person, but this person is what matters, you know? Right. Yeah. And his his friendship with, you know, with Will and Sim, he wouldn't he wouldn't bring up the debt with them and, and try to let them loan him money because the people are what matter to him, right? Yeah. Or the money or the job or any of it. That's fascinating. I'm glad you said that because in turn, it's almost like his investment in people endears uh, him to them too, right? And mm. we've talked about Will and Sim and the investment they've made yes. in him yep. and even Anchor being like, okay, I get it, kid. You're yeah. going after a girl. Go for it. Yeah. But you owe me. Like I said, true hero. Yeah. Yeah. What a what a wingman. Bunker. Yeah. Go. Go to her. How old do you think that guy is? What do you got in your head? Uh, I'm probably thinking early 60s. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking like early 50s. Yeah. 50s, 60s. Not not like elderly necessarily, yeah. but grizzled and yeah, been yeah. around the block quite a few times. Yeah. Right. yeah. Not not intimidated by the world. Old enough to not care. Yeah. <laughs> you got anything else for this chapter? Uh, no. All right. Well, let's do the next one. Let's go well, to a rare short chapter in this block. Yes. Yes. We only have. Uh, yeah, we only have four. Uh, what five chapters in this in this block instead of instead of the usual six? Walking and talking. Coming back to Earth from his date in quotes. Both meets his friends for lunch, only to realize that his walk with Denna made him forget his plans with them. Oh, crushes ruin everything. But when he tells them where he was, walking with a girl he has he hasn't been pursuing, again in quotes, he is immediately forgiven for all the time spent, but chastised for his lack of skill and knowledge about women. To avoid more abuse, Quoth agrees to tell them the whole story. Even after giving his version of events, though, his friends come to the conclusion that he is scared. And he admits it. He's terrified and excited and wants to go find her again right now. But what is he to do? Both changes the subject to move on. He's doing this project to gain admission to the artificery. Let's focus on that. He doesn't want to do a simple sympathy lamp like everyone else does. Of course he doesn't. While the artificery talk is a good diversion, Simon will advise him to just build a sympathy lamp and come quickly back to the previous topic. If you like a girl, you have to tell her, Sim says. That's the end of the chapter. Not a whole lot going on here. Oh, of import. But you got some, you got some great Billy Joel going on right there. Tell her about it. Oh, there we go. Let her know how much you care when you can't be with her. Tell her you wish you were there. There. Yes. Yes. That's Will. He's just singing Billy Joel. Yeah. (laughs) Back when Billy Joel had hair and wore sunglasses. (laughs) Tell her about it. Every day before you leave. That's a great song. Great, Billy. It is a good song. And it has a good message. It does. Some of his songs. Be bold. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're your favorite. Uh, Yeah. Unlike your favorite, you know. Captain Jack. Captain Jack. That's it's not a great message. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's uh just forget the world and drink for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I remember when Chewie asked me what who Captain Jack was. Like Captain Jack Sparrow? No. <laughs> no, no. No. Not exactly. Let's no. call him Captain Jim. 
Yeah. No. <laughs> Can't do that. <laughs> Can't. Captain Johnny. No. Nope. I, I just told him. <laughs> it's alcohol, yeah. buddy. Um, great song. Uh, Chewy, by the way, this is a complete aside. Just had yeah. his uh, uh, fifth grade maturation program this week. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. For those of you who, who may not know what that is, that's a thing. Maybe they do it in other states too, but it is something that is done in Utah um, where the boys have a special little class at school. And the they, girls do too. The girls do as well. Yeah. I feel like we were together, boys and girls together when I did it as a kid. I don't remember. We did it at the same time, but in separate classes. Separate, separate class. Classes. Yeah. They were separated. It was just with the boys. And you learn about your changing bodies. Yeah. It's quite fascinating. Yeah. You know, Mary was in fifth grade last year and we expected to have that, but they didn't do it. Really? And we called. Yeah. And we called and we're like, when we realized that they didn't do it, we're like, does this, did they just skip? Because you get, you know, questions about deodorant and, you know, we're like, they usually cover this. Where is that thing that they usually have here? And we called and like, yeah, we, the parents wanted to get rid of it. We took it away from the program. No but then way. this year we got notification that they're having it this year. So it's like they just that one them. year. So yeah. there's a whole grade of just stinky kids, stinky boys. I mean, it's possible <laughs> who are yeah. having wet dreams and have no idea what's and do no about idea them. what's happening, no clue. <laughs> oh, Chewy's face when they were talking about those, he was just like, I just patted what? him on the shoulder. I'm like, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Don't worry, Ben. <laughs> Anyway, you were telling a story about it. Uh, no, that was about it. I just <laughs> oh, it made me okay. think of that. But <laughs> okay, what were uh, we talking about that even got me thinking about that? I don't know. Tell her about it. Tell her about Captain Jack. Know. Oh, we were talking about Captain Jack and Chewie asking the question, and then I started thinking, yeah. 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 And we've answered. We've talked about a few more questions this week. So, mm-hmm. and that's okay. In response to not having that class, we actually bought a book about like boys changing bodies and stuff. Okay. And it sits there and no one ever looks at it. <laughs> when there are questions, he can consult us and the book. Scad reaches over to the bookshelf. <laughs> That's I don't know, man. Read there. this. Get out of my face. <laughs> Figure no. it out. Uh, yeah, I mean... I don't have much for this chapter. No. Uh, he reveals that they're t- together for six hours. It's a long time. It's a really long time. I got a weird one. At the very opening of this chapter, he talks th- about being over on the other side of the river and picking up some quicksilver and sea salt. Just dropped yeah. in. Noth- nothing. I have no idea what you know, that would be about. In case materials for the fishery maybe maybe he wants to make sea salt pretzels i don't know with quicksilver be deadly yeah you know common combination uh we get the one of those little like charming comedy bit little lines in this chapter while shopping in emory for those things i had also quite by coincidence wandered past the inn where denna was staying but she hadn't been there or at the Olean, or in the park. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's just cute. Just cute. Yes. Yeah. 
he, quite uh, by coincidence. Oh, and I passed by these other places just quite by coincidence as well. And she wasn't at none of those, just by the way. So. Yes, I think that's actually at the top of the next chapter. Oh, Not did I miss fire. it? Okay, that's okay. Right. It's okay. The, the theme is the nerds. same, though. The theme is the same. He says in this chapter, he's like, I want to go see her right now. So, like, <laughs> the spirit of what you're talking about is in this chapter. He wants to be with her now, like always. And that's it's, sweet. Yeah, it's like a drug. He's he's addicted to Denna. Oh, yeah, it's it's different. It's it is a little different. Yeah, in in the start of 64. So that is in 63 somewhere. Oh, it's in 63 too? Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's just worded differently. Oh, okay. Right? Uh, in my notes, but yeah, yeah, it's you. different. Yeah. So he's I, I copied it. I copied it verbatim out of the book. Yeah. Oh, okay. So he says it again in 64, though. You're right at the top. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, let's jump to 64 unless you've got more for 64. No, it's fine. Yep. Nine in the fire. Nine in the fire. Quoth looks for Denna. He looks really hard at all the haunts for days in a row and he can't find her. She seems to be gone. Desaparecido. Like that. She was gone. Uh, but while these days have passed, Quoth has also finished his project to advance the artificery. Though Kilman admits that the project he's done is more advanced than most of those sympathy lamps he gets for approval. As he tests it out, Kilman is a little worried. Quoth has built a lamp that is good for thievery, for spelunking, for secrecy. And this is not what the Arcanum wants to be known for. In fact, if it falls into the wrong hands, the Arcanum would be blamed for it. Further, he accurately accuses Quoth of trying to build something special for pride to separate himself from the other apprentices. For his part, Quoth admits the fault, but owns it. He is, a fa he is faster, he is better, and he wanted to be recognized for it. Kilvin gives Quoth a little bit of encouragement, indicating that he knows Quoth to be advanced, that he appreciates the design and the inventiveness of this lamp, but he can't sell it. Lamps like this find their, ways into the, find their way into the wrong hands. Quoth was counting on this lamp selling, and on the money from that sale, but he would have to do without. Upon receiving the news, Manet, who he was uh, the apprentice under, gives him a well-earned I told you so, and offering him some advice on what to work on next. Both submits and agrees to fall in line and build some simple, high-earning blue emitters, but he also prods Manet a little bit more, asking if he knows a secret way into the archives. Manet declines to give him the answer, but does not dispute that there is one, instead encouraging patience for Quoth to earn his way back in the right way. Both, you are young, be patient, you can afford to wait, that kind of thing. But what Quoth took from the conversation, there is a way in, and I can find it. On his way out, Quoth stops by Kilvin's office and convinces him to give the thieves' lamp back rather than smelting it down for parts, so long as Quoth agrees to not ever let it fall into anyone else's hands. Kilvin agrees to give it back to him. Of course not. Both plans to use it simple, simply for a reading lamp in place of candles that he's still spending money on. Sure, Quoth, sure. Now Quoth knew there was both a way in the archives and he had a nice little light to help him find it. And that's the end of the chapter. This little light of mine, Matt. This, I'm gonna let <laughs> Nice. <laughs> in the little dark pathways to find away into the Arcanum, or into the uh, into the library, mm -hmm. the archives. 
Yep. Yep. They, uh, Gilbin specifically mentions pride, which we've talked about as uh, something that book needs to get a handle on. He does. We talked about it before that it's part of kind of a defense mechanism for Quoth, right? You mentioned that kind of earlier in this episode. Mm-hmm. But it feels like he kind of has let this part go mostly as coat. Do you agree with that? Pride stuff? At least the outward. Yeah. Yeah. It's still I think there, there's still some embedded pride. Him. Yeah, you, you see it a little bit in the way he tells the stories and some of these interludes. It feels like you get glimpses of it. True. But he's definitely yeah. able to contain it. Yeah. Uh, your greater judgment is still somewhat in question, Kilvin says to him. Due, of course, to the pride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, here, though, again, like he's 15. For sure. Like for of sure. course, his greater judgment is in question. Yeah. yeah. It's every 15 year old. Yep. But with great power comes great responsibility. Thank you, Uncle Ben. Um, mm -hmm. And he wants to be seen as an authority figure. You know, he wants to put together the better lamp and be recognized as awesome uh, yeah. because of that pride. And so, dude, if you if you want to be seen as the big guns, you got to be able to take it when they judge you up to that standard. Right. Yeah. Um, you got Kilvin stressing patience. Uh, you've got. Monet stressing patience. You've got Master Lauren stressing, stressing patience. patience. Yep. Um, I think it's now two episodes ago. You had Master Elodin calling into question Quoth's oh, judgment, yes. at least. Yes. Like Kilvin does here. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like the mentors are there. <laughs> you gotta take the advice though <laughs> if you just don't listen to them they're not they can't mentor you right yeah yeah, yeah. it's 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 similar to george a little bit you know with the others and how he lets us kind of forget the others um you know and and lets us just focus on the human struggle a little bit mm. it's kind of We've we've lost that thread a little bit with the Chandrian. It's been a long oh, time absolutely. since it's been a focus, right? Yeah, we've been dealing with right. debts and money and music and love and all these other things. But in the back of Quoth's mind is still the Chandrian, right? And mm -hmm. that's at least I think it's part of his character flaws as well, his lack of patience. But it's really just that this is driving him. It's to, an urgency. Yeah. There's an urgency to him with this Chandrian stuff that you know, it's this internal drive that he has, you know, despite all the day-to-day -day minutia that distracts us, it's still back there driving him. And um, it's, it's, it's good the way Pat kind of reminds us of that with these little moments of him, you know, really trying to break all the rules to get into the archives and things like that. And similar to George, how he kind of just every once in a while will just pull the little lever and make you remember that the others are still out there. Yeah. 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 And Kvothe has become because of his, what he's learned specifically from Abanthi, he is able to compartmentalize that, um, that memory of the Chandrian 
mm-hmm. that urgency, he is able to kind of put it in a box and put it away in order like- to focus on paying his debts and getting his job and doing all these things. But at the same time, he's able to draw it. It's always constantly in the back of his mind, pushing him forward. Yeah. He's a fascinating yeah. kid. He is. Yeah. It, he's able to. How do I put it? Let this consume him without letting it consume him. It is his motivating factor underneath everything, but he doesn't let it percolate to the top in such a way that he can't live. Right. Yeah. He can't focus on the things that are like in his face and important. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I wouldn't be talking about this so much if I hadn't just watched this Beckham documentary like an hour before we okay. recorded. But uh, when you say Beckham documentary, you're talking about Spice World. I'm talking about Victoria Beckham, <laughs> posh spice. <laughs> they were talking about where we where Padme and I left off was at the beginning of David and Victoria's relationship. So um, it's fresh on my mind. But, you know, in the same sentence where they're talking about where he'd drive four hours, see her for 20 and come mm-hmm. back. One of his former teammates, I can't remember the name of the player. He would talk about how David Beckham had this incredible ability, though, to no matter the paparazzi that was following, no matter what was going on, how many papers he was in and all the star hubbub and everything and living in this crazy world he was thrust into once he started dating a super pop star like her. He said that he could he could come into the locker room and he could just instantly get into football mode, you know. Mm. Like he yep. was able to just turn it off completely, like a switch, leave yeah. it all out there. And he had this incredible ability to flip a switch and yeah. I'm on football now. And, you know, we know the yeah. legend of David Beckham. He'd go out there and do whatever he wanted, you know, run half as much as everyone else and score free hit goals. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky, baby. Same thing. <laughs> uh yeah, it, I think it. Not everyone can do that, right? Right. I don't know. What, I don't know whether you can teach yourself to be better at that, but some people just see, kind of seem to be able to do it. Turn that off. Go do this thing. They don't take. They don't take work home with them. You know, they don't take home to work. Did you ever see Severance? I heard. I need to. I haven't watched it with Adam Scott. Right. Uh, yeah. I started it, and then Aowen made me stop. She's like, "This looks good." <laughs> so I, and I never got back to it but they the whole premise of that up they, they show it in the first episode it's not really a spoiler the whole premise of that is there's a company that allows you to sever yourself from from like your mind kind of in two ways you have a work life and a home life and you don't know anything about the other one the guy from home comes to work checks in passes through some barrier and he's a work guy, and he has no idea what happened for the last 12 hours. Dang. Uh-huh. Work guy leaves, passes through that barrier, some magic, right? Home guy has no idea what he did at work. Right. So they like don't take it home. They have no sort of relationships that cross barriers. Dang. Very interesting stuff. Yeah. But I had to stop, so I don't know where it went. <clears throat> what a guy. Anyway. What a guy. If it were easy for humans to do severance the show wouldn't exist i guess is my point not everyone can just do that like beckham it's hard right. our minds yeah. drift man They're sometimes all you can bend it like him but you not everyone can 
turn it off like him mm-hmm. or turn it on depending on how you look at it yeah i'm usually turned on but back up it's pretty easily yeah it's pretty easily done yeah. i mean uh she's great i was more into uh baby spice but gosh was cute i was i was actually talking about david but oh uh, oh okay yeah <laughs> sure yeah gotcha you know, yeah uh or Parmenter Nabra, who is in the film Bennett Like Beckham. She's cute. I had, I had a yeah. crush on for, for some time. She's super cute. Oh, we've had a lot. We've had a lot of side discussions. This has been great. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got for this chapter? That's uh, it. We talked about pride. <laughs> Hilvin doing a six-way binding with like no effort is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... like passed over kind of quickly in the chapter mm-hmm. yeah but quoth notes that he's like that's amazing he just did it with barely a thought right right that controlled all these things in the room at once the six-way binding i mean usually we hear about like one two or three correct but Kilvin just does six without thinking about it right that kind of puts into context the title of master yeah yeah and what that means what that really means yeah. Yeah, and it's mentioned that they're Manet says they're conservative, right? And I think you kind of if you put those things together, you can kind of see why, right? It's like there's so much power in there. But like to get to that level, you have to be a careful careful human or you blow stuff up, right? Like <laughs> you have so much power, you good point. If you're not conservative and careful, you know, things go go sideways quick. Yeah. Good point. I don't have much else. Shall we move on to Debbie After Dark? Let's do it, baby. All right. Debbie After Dark. This is, I would say, I feel like the last couple have been light on Debbie After Dark material. Mm-hmm. Um, not a not a ton here. I, I'm interested in talking Viari a little bit. Okay. Talk about Viari a little bit. Yes. Yeah. So does he know anything? Is he that potential source of knowledge that Kvo thinks he could be? Uh, why would he be introduced? So out of story ish, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he could have, could have introduced him anywhere. He introduced him right before Quoth is going in to see Lauren. Viaria, of course, is, is Lauren's killer. So that makes sense that that's where you'd see him anyway. But I wonder if it's meaningful to kind of link the two together. And there are theories, you know, out there that, well, various, various theories about Lauren and, and Viari, but that Lauren is actually sending his killers out to get books about the Ammer so that he can hide them or destroy them and you know get rid of them right or or so that he can hide them and maintain them to make sure they're not destroyed right, right? yeah yeah Keep we don't really know mm-hmm. but there are people that think viari himself is an amir is one of the the amir right and that fascinating and it kind of it would be somewhat i don't know poetic or i don't know the phrase poetic if all this time both is looking for the Amir and the Chandrian and clues. And he lets this guy just like walk past him. And, and he let one walk. And he just didn't, 
did it was right under his nose right right yeah because he was so caught up in the mundane day-to-day yeah yeah so he 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 didn't it was it was too suppressed in that case Mm -hmm. right he Mm -hmm. needed it to percolate to the top and be like wait a minute this smells funny yep who is this guy like he knows sniff this out Mm mm-hmm yeah I mean, I guess in his defense, like Quoth meets people from all over the place at the university. So maybe meeting Viari wasn't that different. He seems right. very different to us as readers. Mm-hmm. But... I anyway, I, I kind of, I kind of, I know I said I kind of like Lauren and maybe he's not a bad guy. I kind of think he's part of the Yammer and a bad guy. Really? Kind of, Maybe. I kind of think all of that history stuff, like they're all bad. They've all got the wrong idea. Right? And maybe Kvothe is when he comes to fight that, he's fighting against all of them, kind of. The Amur are meant to yeah. protect from the Chandrian. Correct. But how do they do it? Yeah, we detect some well, it's been thousands Potential. of years and the Chandrian are still around. So like, are they the really aren't. doing that job or did they become corrupt? And they're really about other things now, you know, like, uh, you know, like the Grand Maester conspiracy theory kind of thing in A Song of Ice and Fire. Like maybe they just found the power and decided they liked it. And so they keep the Chandrian at bay, but they just kind of rule the secret society. They also thing. keep themselves at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Illuminati so- or something. What do you have any, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Do you have any theories or to stretch this idea of Lauren, maybe not being the best guy, what his intentions are with Quoth? Well, you said earlier, you know, by keeping out of the library and always rate, you know, the tuition's going up and giving the archives to study. Um <clears throat> Is he maybe just trying to? I think he's trying to do it subtle. If he's doing it at all, I sure. think he's trying to do it subtly. Just kind of slide Quoth's interest away from anything going on with this, right? Sure. Okay. As part of the bigger, the part of the bigger desire to just kind of hide all this information away. Uh huh. And may, if he's really a bad guy, he becomes, I don't know what villain to compare him to, but like in a movie, that villain that. Seems like he's kind of okay, but then when he realizes the slow play game that he's doing isn't going to work, he gets nasty. Sure. Right? Like, he could have him killed. He could have VRA just slit his throat someday. If he yeah. thinks the, the 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 easy way isn't, isn't going well, right? Yeah. Because isn't it clear back at the beginning of the university, Lauren helps him, like, like if you want to find good information, you need to do it this way, Right. He says he does he does kind of try to ch- steer him away from Chandri and stuff though, right? That's how he, he does it. it. He says it will be seen as childish if anyone Yeah, do yeah he does. That's how he does it. Yeah. But that that's he should have known that wouldn't be enough to dissuade him, really. Sure. But if he is playing, like you said, a slow game. But if he if he didn't care either way. Why? What does he care? What people think of Quoth? Why does why why pull Quoth aside and be like, 
people are going to think you're silly if you're looking at this topic. Right. He saw Chandrian on the freaking ledger, and he's like, okay, I got to do something. We don't want people looking into this. Correct. Right? Because yep. what does he do? I mean, we've we've seen that Lauren doesn't really care about individual students, it seems, that way, right? Like, Yeah, unless he sees something. I mean, if we go completely to the other end of the spectrum, yeah. Lauren feels like Foth is the second coming of Christ. He is... Mm-hmm the next big deal and he mm-hmm. needs to you know nurture this Lift kid him up. yeah in his in his own way a team john if we go back to our oldest song of ice and fire stuff in mm-hmm. some way um so what we know of lauren tough love then it, yeah this tough what we see of lauren i don't know that that's likely though i don't know i it's compelling buddy what you're saying it's compelling it's i mean I feel like I should have spent more time looking at all the kind of ideas that are already out oh, yeah. there because mine are very thin. And until I finish a wise man's fear again, it's been a few years. I feel like my thoughts are a bit stretched. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'll take a look. I'll take a deeper look next time. Um, Ambrose stuff uh, real quick. <laughs> we don't need to spend a bunch of time on it, but. There's theories about it. so Ambrose. We've we've heard Sim give the the time the uh, the the line of succession right for for being king of Vintus, and Ambrose's dad is like twelfth in line or something. There are theories that like the the Jackus family is slowly whittling away those heirs mm. so that they can become king, and that the king that he kills actually is Ambrose or his father, right? I kind of like the idea that it's his father. And remember at the very beginning of the story, one of the guys is talking about taking the king's coin to go fight in the in the war. And mm-hmm. Foth is like really against it. And he's like, don't, don't go fight in the king's war. Like if Ambrose is king, like that may all of a sudden becomes like this personal. It's like, yeah, thing, dude, you right? don't want to do that. Trust don't, me, you don't, don't want to do that. Don't fight for that. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Um theories that Ambrose and his father are behind a pirate attack that almost kills Quoth in the uh, Wise Man's Fear coming up. Mm. Um and other people think it's just you know, they're just he's just a rich kid. Rick Quoth. Just walk away, buddy. Just walk away, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> uh there's one uh, in Jackass, Jackass, there's a a thing where he's talking to Lauren uh, in the library, and he says that it reminded he reminded him of the Doctor and some of the plays that that he used to do. And the appearance of the Doctor always implies catastrophe in the next act. Right. Says. Yep. And we get that very soon coming up. Yeah, it's, it's things are going swimmingly with Denna, and the Bone Tar catastrophe occurs. Go ahead, sorry. I I mean yes as we we're getting two events in the in the book but even in even you know in the coming chapters things start to he struggles a little bit and it's funny he does that, yeah mm-hmm. yeah um what else you got okay um this lamp Mm-hmm. The lamp is going to be a thing, right? Yeah. So 
so he's going to use it himself to sneak into the to the archives. Um, that happens <clears throat> later in this book, I think. Mm. Mixing up my timeline, I think it's in this book. Um, he also uses it in book two in his is it in book two, yeah, in book two in his fight with Ambrose. That happens, um, but I think I think this is going to come back to bite him. Yeah. I, yeah, I, it doesn't seem like it'll be a big enough thing to get him expelled away from the university. We know he gets basically like kicked out, right? At some point mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from the university. I thought maybe it would come back and kill him and be like, I told you, you know, like you're out. I told you if anybody ever came to me with this, you were going to be in trouble. You're out. Right. But it's it doesn't feel big enough. Like it could just be like, yeah, it was on my desk and someone stole it from me. You know, like, sorry. It doesn't feel like you're sorry for that. Sorry. It's like my daughter. She's like, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you misunderstand the situation. <laughs> Those are the best. Oh, the apologies that, oh. the apologies that, that accuse you of being wrong. Yep. Leia is 14 Kalisar and she's a charming, beautiful young lady. And she is also a pain. <laughs> sorry. Just say it just like that. Sorry. Sorry. She keeps (sighs) giving you that sass, huh? Oh, she's sassy. You know, I wouldn't want her any other way. Of course. Um, You know, a thought entered my head that Kilvin is so perceptive. He's such a good judge of character. Yeah. He's also very pragmatic. He's also very much like not... Like if he decides he's going to do something, that's just the way it's going to be. And no one can sway him from that. And I felt like he was very just generous in like giving Quoth his lamp back. Mm. He outlined all the reasons why he shouldn't have it. And then he's just like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you can have it. Like, here you go. He says the lamp is lost. It would eventually end up in the wrong hands and be used for skulking about in the dark, doing dishonest things. And I put in our notes, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. I don't know why he would be doing that, but it just felt very leading. And then Quoth's response to him, I give you my word, Master Kilvin. No one will be using it but me. Mm -hmm. And I can almost just see them both like tapping the sides of their noses, you know? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Him backing out of the room slowly (laughs) with the lamp as Master Kilvin watches him. What you don't know, Kilvin, is better off than you don't know. And I wondered if there was like some tacit approval for whatever Mm -hmm. Quoth was going to do. Uh, while also some plausible deniability so that if he does get in trouble, he could, like you said, say, I told you, I told you. You're Uh, right. It almost, given, given the risk and how dire he seems to paint it, if it were to get into the wrong hands, it doesn't seem like he should have given it back. It feels a little out of character for Kilvin, what we know of him so far. And the fact that he does supports your point that he's like, okay, use it. (laughs) <laughs> right skulking about doing dishonest mm-hmm. things yeah what does he expect him to do i don't know i don't yeah. know but it's just what came to mind 
distrusting reader that I am. That's interesting. George has ruined me. I see (laughs) shadows in every corner. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Shadows, slaves of the light. Uh, I don't. I don't think I have much else. Yeah, there's little things. Um, is Denna like killing men? <laughs> like Savoy? Maybe Savoy's gone. Yeah, yeah. I'm starting to wonder is it about Denna as a villain. Um, mm-hmm. like, like almost like a vampiric kind of quality to her, right? Like like bleeds them dry until she can't get anything more from them and then just kind of tosses them aside, right? Yeah. But that feels trite in a way. I don't know. But a little, maybe. Yeah. But you know, maybe it's in that area, but you know, unique somehow. Um, you know, it would be a massive shift to kind of make her a villain based on what we think we know from Coat about her. I mean, he still clearly has strong, I think, positive feelings about this person. Yeah. So if she were really a villain, it would be kind of hard to hard to maintain those feelings. Mm-hmm. Be like a, but if if yeah, if she was like a a pre a pre turn Mara Jade, so yeah. like Rex Quoth, but he still loves her. You know, like if if Mara hadn't turned and Luke was still like. You know, I don't know how all that went, right? Because I haven't read it, but like if he was still infatuated with her anyway, even though she was dark, you know, could she like could Denna like like the wind in the willow, right? That she talks about that the willow bends to the wind's wishes. <clears throat> could she kind of like control him? Like, is that what she does? It feels a little bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Both steal me. Yeah. It's a command, not an invitation. And is she, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and is she doing it at someone else's behest too? Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. Like she's maybe she doesn't even really want to be doing it, but she's being controlled herself. Like uh uh what's her name in Hercules, the animated one? Meg. Meg oh. in, in the Disney's Hercules. Been a long yeah. time for me with Disney and Hercules. That's a cute Not movie. Not even sure I saw the whole one. It's a cute movie. It's got my favorite Disney song of all time in it. Hmm. I won't say I'm in love. It's like an old gut. It sounds like an old like Motown. Oh, okay. The Supremes type song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's delightful. Okay. It's my favorite cool. Disney song. Check that out. Uh, um, I, it, I, it's, it's not an idea I agree with, but it's fun. Yeah, it and is I, fun. I'm thinking about it more. And she doesn't have to be a hero or a villain, right? What if she was like a... I don't even know what she would be, but like some sort of like supernatural yes. type being, not necessarily like a god or something, but yeah, you know, something where she literally can't stay in, you know, one place very long yeah. because of either responsibilities or her nature or something like that. Yeah, there were people that I read that thought she was Faye, but I don't like that because I would think Bass would have seen that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he's paid some close attention to her to your point right yeah the yeah. ears and the, the, the ear nose. thing yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. she had perfect ears 
So I don't love that idea, but you could, yeah, some other special being of some kind. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's a whole part in Wise Man's Fear where um, she is composing a song with her, her patron uh, and, and her composing a song about the creation war hmm. that directly conflicts with the story of the creation war that both has taken as gospel. Yeah. Okay. And it kind of, they fight about it. He, he gets really angry at her and it kind of lends to that. Maybe she's being manipulated by this patron. Right. And maybe trying to, to move him a little bit as well. Maybe getting him to think a different version of this story could alter right. his course. Maybe. Um, anyway. Yeah. Interesting stuff there for Denna. On that note, shall we end it? <laughs> That's all I got. All you right. know, hopefully this little uh, Debbie After Dark segment, fam, gets you gets just gets you thinking about other possibilities. Yes, not a we lot have... of answers tonight. No, and <laughs> rarely do I think that we have the no. answers no. <clears throat> in an unfinished series like this one. Uh, we do it to ourselves, and we recognize and acknowledge that, but. Here we are. Hopefully it gives you something to think about, though. Indeed. Uh, let us sign off. sign off. This has yeah. been a great episode. Hope yeah. you've enjoyed it. I've definitely enjoyed it. Me too. Always a pleasure. This is Matt signing off, reminding you that uh, etiquette is a set of rules people use so they can be rude to each other in public. Who said that? It's either Will or Sam. It was one of the two. Yeah. 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 Uh, Scad signing off, telling you to be bold, but don't do anything I wouldn't do. That's a, so not so not too bold. That's a wide canvas, buddy. <laughs> that's an expansive universe that we have just open to us now. <laughs> uh, all right. Good night, Kalisar. Thanks. Good for night, listening. everybody.